Okay, good morning. Good morning. Morning once again. Thankful for your presence. I think this is probably the largest class I've had on Sunday morning, so I'm thankful for all of your attendance and sticking around. And we're actually going to be uh, concluding our study uh, that we've been doing the past couple of weeks. Uh, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about those who um, are committed to Jesus, but not the church. Uh, we, so we've been talking about this group. And again, just to kind of review, to just kind of refresh everyone where we were, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the country music star Don Williams, right? He had that song, uh, I Believe in You, and in the, in the lyrics of it, again, it said, well, I don't believe that heaven waits for only those who congregate, right? And so we've kind of talked about how uh, there's a lot of people uh, in the world who are more and more starting to feel this way that, um, you know, the church is not important uh, to one's uh, religious experience, one's, one's spiritual life, and that um, one's um, destination, you know, whether uh, heaven, eternal life, or eternal um, you know, damnation, it's not... Um, it's not dependent upon those who, you know, come to church or those who worship within the body of the Lord. And so we looked at, if you recall, we looked at a couple of polls uh, that have done recently about how this group of individuals is seemingly growing more and more. Again, those who are committed to Jesus, but not the church. And then kind of the first uh, highlight we talked about was... Um, you know, the question, do we understand the divine nature of the church? You know, do we understand that the church is not man-made, but that it's divine, that God, God had this plan before the foundations of the world, we're told um, in Colossians and Ephesians, uh, that the church was planned before the worlds were created, um, and that it would ultimately, ultimately be his divine plan um, that, that, you know, the church would come. In Acts chapter two, and that uh, and that you know man would be a part of that, and so you know we we looked at a lot of verses that talked about the headship of, of Jesus, how Jesus purchased the church with his own blood, uh, Acts twenty verse twenty eight, uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood, right? So so we kind of spent a lot of time talking about the fact that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood by his death and that, you know, the, that he promised to build his church, my church. He said, I'm going to build my church in Matthew 16. And then we looked at some other verses that talked about how Jesus is the head of the church. Right? He is that top authority uh, within the church. He's the head of the church and the church is the body and the body is made up of the members, which are us. You know, we make up the body and Christ is our head. So again, we looked at a lot of those verses and then we talked about, again, how, how the church was, um, was planned before the beginning of the world, how it was prophesied in the Old Testament, uh, just like uh, we talked about in our sermon this morning in Daniel chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2. And remember, all those come to fruition in Acts chapter 2. And so we looked at a lot of those prophecies of the church that is coming. And then by the time the Gospels are being written, the church is being prepared. 
Right? John the Baptist is going around preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus is doing the same thing. He, he's preaching repentance. He says, it's time to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming soon. And, you know, there's that key verse in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 1, where uh, Jesus said there, he said in Mark 9, verse 1, and Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Right? So, so Jesus is telling the people standing around him that, again, the kingdom of heaven, the church, the, those are equivalent, is going to come. Some of them are going to see it in their lifetime before they die. They're going to see the, the church, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God come in its power. And, of course, then we looked in Acts chapter 2 about um, that day that it came in Acts chapter 2. So, again, um, we saw that the church was being prepared, and then we saw that it came on Pentecost. And we even looked at a verse in Colossians uh, chapter 1, um, where in verse 13, where Paul said, we have now been transferred into his kingdom. So now Paul is writing that the kingdom is here. Right? He's writing as if the kingdom is here while Jesus was speaking that the kingdom is coming. Okay? So it's in, between, you know, it's in between the Gospels and Acts um, you know, that the kingdom came, that the church came into fruition. And again, that is in Acts chapter 2. And so we spent a lot of time uh, the past couple of weeks talking about that. And so we're going to continue on in our study. I think we'll probably finish it today. Um, again, trying to understand, you know, why are people committed to Jesus, but not the church? And we understand that first point is that the church is divine, right? It's not man-made. It's divine. This is, this is God's plan. And so, you know, we need to uh, take note of that. We need to take note that this is God's plan for us uh, to uh, be part of his church, and so the second question, and we kind of teased this a little bit last week, is, you know, do we understand what it means to diminish the church? Do we understand what it means to diminish the church? Again, uh, we looked at Acts chapter 7 and 8. If you recall there, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen gives uh, uh, his own sermon. He he. he is giving a sermon to the people around him. Um, he's giving a lot of Old Testament uh, qu quotes, and he's, he's preaching on the Old Testament and, and showing the people that, um, you know, that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the promised Messiah, and that they had, they had killed him, and that they were responsible for his death. And what were the Jews' reaction to that? They stoned him, didn't they? They were upset. Right? They were mad. They stoned Stephen. And we're told in verse 58, But when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, so we're introduced to this man named Saul at the end of chapter 7. And then when we jump into chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Okay, putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began 
against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Okay, so we see Saul, the um, Saul of Tarsus, who later on uh, we're going to know better as the Apostle Paul. But before he was the Apostle Paul, he was uh, this Jewish uh, Pharisee, a leader uh, among the Pharisees, a man who was zealous for the Jewish law, and he saw, he saw the church as a problem. Right? And so what he did is he, he, um, he would go into houses, he would, he would arrest the Christians, he would drag them off to prison, he, he would have them beaten, all such things. And so then when we notice in chapter 9, by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, uh, Saul is on another um, quest. Uh, verse 1 says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And, he, and as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Okay, so chapter 8 of Acts is telling us that Saul is going around persecuting the church. But what is, who does Jesus say he's persecuting in chapter 9? himself. Right. Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's not saying, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you, can, why are you persecuting my church? But he says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, in Acts 22, he gives a little bit more uh, some of the detail. Uh, uh, Saul's account, his, his, uh, his transformation into a Christian is given three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26, uh, each uh, giving us a little bit more information. But look at in Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 3. See, Paul, Paul says here, uh, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. So again, uh, we get some more of, of the detail of just who Saul was, what he was doing to the church or, or the, this group called the, the Way, uh, the, the Christians in Jerusalem. 
And again, he makes that connection. Why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church, but Jesus saw that as an attack on him. Okay, and so, and so what we're trying to make the point is, is that when we speak con- contemptuously of the church, you know, we're speaking the same way towards the body of believers, right, and Jesus, uh, the body of Christ. See, we can't revere and fear God. We can't revere and fear, you know, uh, Jesus, but then yet we, you know, the next day, you know, we're, we're bashing his church, you know, where maybe there was something that happened uh, that you had a disagreement with a, another member in the congregation, and because of that, you're taking your anger out on the church, right? But what is Jesus again saying in these verses is that, you know, when you are persecuting the church, you are persecuting me. And so again, um, you know, let's think of it again as we are um, in the broader picture of our study. As, you know, we're, maybe we're speaking to individuals who uh, have left the church or who maybe have never been part of the church, but they are, you know, they're religious in nature. They, they, they claim to uh, love Jesus. They claim to be a follower of his, uh, but the church is nowhere in uh, their sight, right? They, they see it as an afterthought. Uh, they don't see the necessity of it. Um, and someone were to say to you, right, that, that the church is non-essential, that it, it's, uh, it's non-important, what's that the equivalent of saying? Right, that Christ isn't important, that, that the blood that was shed to purchase that church isn't important. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, my, my translation says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, if you're reading out of the New King James or the King James, your translation will probably say something to the effect of in whom we have redemption through his blood. Right? They're making that connection that you know, our redemption is through uh, the blood of Christ, which, uh, which is correct because you know, we've, we've been studying that in Ephesians uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, well, yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, we are told there that we have forgiveness of sins uh, through the blood of Christ to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And again, the same thought, the same concept is here in Colossians 1.14. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Right? We have redemption through his blood. And so if we are going to say that his blood uh, is not important, right? because um, you know, it, he purchased the church with his blood, then we are equivalently saying, you know, that Christ died for uh, the non-essential, right? If the church is not essential to you, then he died for the non-essential. And we diminish the church. We diminish the church when we try and separate, again, Jesus from 
his church. We just can't do it. We cannot separate Jesus from his church. And so, you know, those are the first two points that we want to make when we think of this uh, concept is that, again, the church is divine in nature. Uh, It's divine in nature. It's God's plan, not ours. And that um, by us diminishing the church, by us persecuting the church, whatever, we, we need to remember that we are diminishing or persecuting Jesus as well, who is our head. But the last point uh, that we want to look at this morning is do we understand that we should love the church? Do we understand that we should love the church? And we're going to be in Ephesians for this section uh, of this study in Ephesians. Again, we're studying Ephesians on Wednesday night. And so uh, if you're not part of that class, we'd invite you to come out on Wednesday evening, 630, 730, as we're going through the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians, I don't think uh, any other book explains this better uh, of why we should love the church. Um, And he gives us really three good analogies. Uh, We'll touch on a couple of them and then spend the most on the last one. But, you know, again, in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul is drawing the connection to us that uh, Jesus is the head of the body, right? Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head of the church, right? And the body is the church made up of the members of the church. And does it make sense that the head can be uh, inseparable from the church? Can we take the head off a, a body? Uh, can, can a head be inseparable from its body? You know, uh, that, do, that doesn't make sense to us in, in a physical realm, and it shouldn't make sense to us also in the spiritual realm. If Christ is the head and we're the body, then we need to be connected to him. We need to be part of him. We need, we need to love the head and the body. Um, you know, if, you, if you're, uh, you know, dating someone, you know, for the first time and, you know, would you ever say to them, you know, I, I really like, you know, your head, but the body, you know, uh, you know, we wouldn't say that, would we? That, that doesn't make sense. They, they go with one another. Uh, the, they are inseparable, as Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. Ephesians chapter 2, and we just kind of touched on this uh, last Wednesday night, verses 20 through 21. Paul's, he's exploring the concept of, you know, the chief cornerstone, you know, that, that important piece of a building that they would have needed in the first century to, to build uh, the building. And in verses, so Ephesians 2, 20 and 21 Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And so not only we should love the church because Jesus is the head of the church, but we should also love the church because Jesus is the builder of the church. He is he is the one who put the the blueprints together. Again, Matthew 16, verse 18, he said, I'm going to build my church. And then the very next 
verse in verse 19, he says to Peter, I'm going to give you the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so we see, you know, the kingdom and the church are synonymous there. We love the church because Christ is the builder of the, of the church. And he is the chief cornerstone, right? This is the, the, that most important block, you know, that's going to determine, uh, you know, how the walls are going to be held up. Uh, the, the primary foundation stone uh, by which the architects are going to use. It's going to be the standard, uh, again, the, uh, of the walls that are going to be built. That is Christ Jesus, we're told. He is the cornerstone. The whole foundation is based on that cornerstone. Again, physically, uh, building a building, and also spiritually, um, the church needs to rest upon that cornerstone. And that's all based, we're told there in those verses in verse 20, that it's being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So, you know, the teachings of the prophets, the Old Testament, the teachings of the apostles, the New Testament, all being laid upon this chief cornerstone. So we need to love the church because, because Christ is the head, because he is the builder. And then thirdly, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 5, that Paul's going to use this illustration of a husband and a wife to describe the relationship that we should have with the church. You know, throughout Scripture, there's many different uh, descriptions of the church. You know, we, we read of, again, we read of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We read of the, the church of Christ. You know, the churches of Christ greet you. We read of the church of God, the church of the firstborn, the house of God, um, and etc. There's a lot of different descriptions for the church, how to describe the church. But we also see that here the church is being described as the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. Jesus never married on earth when he was on earth, yet he does, in a, in a way, have a wife. Uh, let's, let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 22. Let's just go ahead and, and read this whole section. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." So husbands ought to also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall not leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and to the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love your own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So, 
Paul here is, you know, he's writing to the Ephesians. He's, he's explaining the relationship between a husband and a wife, how a husband and a wife should respond to one another. But then he's also making the comparisons of Christ and the church. The, the church is also the bride of Christ. And if we are part of the church, you know, we are part of that, that marriage, if you will. Again, we are the, we are the, the body we are the bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. He's the head. Um, so, again, when we're, when we're thinking about this, uh, using this analogy of a husband and a wife, if someone were to just up and leave the church, I mean, what is Paul saying that's the same as doing? Same as getting up and walking out on your spouse, uh, ending your, your spiritual marriage to him. If we, if we are to leave the church, uh, his, his uh, bride, then we are, you know, in essence, we're, we're separating ourselves from that marriage, that spiritual marriage. Uh, on the flip side, you know, we notice that... Um, you know, a man cannot have multiple wives, right? A man can't have multiple wives, and Christ does not have multiple churches, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, again says that um, there is one body, and we've already looked in Ephesians chapter 1. It told us the body is the church, so we know that there is one uh, body, and so can we ask ourselves maybe, to those who are, who have, you know, got up and left and separated themselves from Christ's church, um, and they've gone to another um, denominational church, or they've left church altogether, um, is one bride as good as another? You know, again, physically, we, in a physical sense, we would say absolutely not, right? Uh, it's the same thing spiritually. One bride is not as good as another. It's the bride um, that, you, that you are married to. You know, while there are many women, uh, a husband knows for certain who his wife is. And again, while there are many churches, we should know uh, which church is the bride of Christ. We should be able to identify uh, the bride of Christ um, just as a man can identify his wife. And we should love the church because, as Ephesians 5, verse 25 tells us, Christ loves it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. He, again, went to the cross. The, he, his, his blood purchased uh, the church, and again, we, you know, we we've talked about this in some other classes, but you know, this is agape love. The Greek word agape, it's a type of love that is, um, you know, you want the best for others. You want what's best for them. You're always looking out for the the other person. That's what agape love is, and and that's the type of love that God has for us. You know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. That's agape love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8. 
God demonstrated his own love towards us. He demonstrated his own agape love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wants what's best for us. He's going to look out for us. He was willing to die for us. And the same way he loved us, we should love the church as well. Um, we should love it because he loved it. And we should love it because he died for it. Okay, so when we look at the church, do we see what, do we see what others see? Do we see what the world sees? Or do we see that precious bride? Do we see that precious bride, excuse me, bride that's without spot or wrinkle? Again, that, that Jesus says here, um, or that Paul writes, verse 26, so that he might, he died so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she be holy and blameless. Right? When we think of the church, the church of the Lord, do we see the church as a precious bride without spot or wrinkle? Can we, can we see it that way? Or do we see it as just one of a number of different you know, churches out in our community? It's just another one of hundreds. Or is it set apart? Is it sanctified um, as a precious bride? Or do we treat it as a precious bride? Um, what would you, for those of you who are married, what would you think of somebody who maybe ridiculed your spouse behind their back? Would you be happy with that? See, some head shaking no. You know, we would not be happy about that. We would not be happy if somebody ridiculed uh, our spouse, uh, if they were gossiping about our spouse. And again, we can make the same equivalent, see, to uh, the church. Um, we should also um, not want to um, be involved in, you know, uh, promoting the gossip within the church, promoting... Uh, talking bad about the church, degrading the church, um, because again, we're making this analogy that the church is the bride of Christ, right? We are the bride of Christ. Uh, Christ is the bridegroom. We are, we are the bride as the body of Christ. And so um, if somebody uh, was ridiculing our spouse, we would not be too happy about that, right? And so... Jesus says how you treat the church is how you are treating him. Just as a husband and wife are to be inseparable, so Christ and his church are to be inseparable. Again, the head and the body. And so if we really love the church, if we really love the church, we're going to do whatever it takes to keep it pure. Uh, as Ephesians chapter 5 tell us, tells us that Jesus died he gave himself up for the church so that he could sanctify her. You know, he could cleanse her by the washing of waters with the word and that he could present it having no spot or wrinkle and being blameless and holy. Right? So, so we think about that uh, with us today. You know, how, how do we go about keeping the, the church pure? Okay, it starts with us. You know, when we come to uh, worship, worship every Sunday, um, you know, we, we want to make sure, of course,
course, that we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. You know, John four twenty four, and in order to do that, you know, we need we need to study and to learn God's word and learn for His will for His church um, and how to worship. And so, by keeping um, our worship pure and holy, we are uh, keeping the church pure. We're, we're worshiping in spirit and truth. You know, we talked. I had a sermon a couple of weeks ago about um, John chapter 1 and uh, verses uh, 15 through 18 about, about um, keeping, uh, being full of grace and truth. If you remember that lesson, you know, we talked about how you know, the church should be full of grace and truth, just like Jesus was in verse uh, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so uh, we, we noticed that Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? He wasn't um, full of truth, you know, and, and denied, you know, the grace aspect, or he wasn't full of grace and denied truth, but he was full of both of those things. And as Christians, as as the church, you know, we strive to do the same thing as well. We want to be full of grace and truth. We don't want to over, um, over emphasize truth over grace, and we don't want to overemphasize grace over truth. We want that same balance as Jesus did and to keep the church uh, pure, as, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and we also... We, we, want to, uh, we want to dedicate ourselves to it. Um, you know, that's another way that we can show our love to the church, just as um, husbands and wives have dedicated their lives to one another. It's important that we dedicate ourselves to the church. Again, thinking about that, that spiritual relationship, the, the bride and the bridegroom. Right? It, we don't want to neglect our spouse in any such way, and we don't want to neglect the church. And so we need to make it a priority in our lives. Well, how do we do that? One, well, one of the ways that we do it is, you know, we're here this morning, right? We are here this morning studying God's Word. Hopefully, we're coming to a better understanding of, of what God wants for us in this life. And we are showing that, that, you know, that Bible study, that God's word is important to us. And so we are making it a priority in our lives. Uh, we're not neglecting our relationship with God. Um, just as a husband and wife should not neglect one another. We need to dedicate ourselves to the church. You know, when the doors are open, you know, we want to be here. We want to support uh, whatever's going on, whatever function's going on uh, that, that, that maybe we're putting on. Um, you know, I, I know that we've, well, obviously I've only been here for a month, so I don't know everything, uh, but, you know, I know that, you know, there's a VBS that we try to put on uh, every year. And, you know, it's important that we have a lot of hands uh, to help with that, you know, getting word out into the community to come and, and you know, bring kids to the, the Vacation Bible School and, you know, a lot of people are going to put crafts together and put, uh, make projects and, 
you know, I've seen the pictures of the rocket ship and things like that that you guys have done in the past. You know, you really put a lot of effort into showing the community that you are dedicated to the, the church and that you want to promote God's church to them. And so we're trying to draw in, uh, you know, the children of this community and hopefully their parents as well uh, to show them what the church is about. You know, and so we do that. That, that. That's a way we dedicate ourselves to the church. Again, when uh, everything, uh, when the doors are open, we want to be here, right? We want to be here and we want to we want to help out and we want to dedicate ourselves to our our bride or our bridegroom. Again, we are we are the body. We are the bridegroom, as Ephesians chapter five tells us, and Christ is the bridegroom. So. Hopefully, um, these series of lessons that we've looked at over the past week uh, will, will maybe help you uh, when dealing um, maybe with individuals who, you know, have, have taken on this mindset that seems, again, to be growing more and more these days of finding uh, religion, finding Jesus outside of the church. Uh, again, they, they, they'll want to believe that, um, you know, Worshiping on the golf course, or or while fishing, or or on vacation, you know, um, away from uh, the body when it's when they have the opportunity to go to you know a local body to worship with them, um, they see that as just another way to um, worship worship Jesus. But as we uh, have have talked about, the, the the plan of the church is divine in nature. And, you know, there's really a problem when we diminish the, the church because we're diminishing Jesus and we're diminishing the blood that he shed for it. And, you know, we need to love the church. We need to love the church because he is the head of the church, because, um, because he is the builder of the church, and because he is uh, the bridegroom of the church. And we make up the bride. You know, again, when we come together... Like this, you know, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells us that, you know, the reason why we should not forsake the assembling is because we, you know, we come together, we stir each other up, we, we stimulate one another to love and good works. Right? That's one of the re reasons why we come together, to encourage one another. And, you know, consider how you feel uh, when you've missed a week with God's people, maybe because of sickness or a health issue, you know, it's... It's tough, isn't it? You, you, you kind of get into a little bit of a lag. Um, you know, you, you're wishing for the next opportunity to come. And again, this perfect plan that God designed before the foundation of the world, his church, this blueprint, it was given to imperfect men and women, right? It was given to humanity to uh, oversee while Christ is our head, you know, we are, you know, we're, we're the local congregation here. We're part of the body of Christ. Uh, but we understand that each one of us here are not perfect. And we make mistakes, right? We, we make mistakes and we need to understand again that this is God's divine plan of, of how this is to operate. See, back in... Noah's day, in Noah's day, uh, there was only one place to be safe if you wanted to avoid the drowning. Of course, that was the ark. You had to be on the ark 
when, when that rain started coming, or else uh, you weren't going to be safe. Right? And the Bible tells us that um, there was only eight souls, eight individuals that survived that, that day. Noah and his wife and his three sons and, his, and the wives of his three sons. But today, uh, the equivalent to that is the church, right? In Christ's church. That's where we need to be in order to be safe. Um, I'm going to end it on this quote that I thought was a pretty good uh, quote to kind of wrap up this, this study. But what the sun is to the solar system, the diamond is to the lump of coal, the pearl is to the oyster, so the church is to a lost and dying world. Right? We, we, uh, that's the main reason why you know, we need to be the church. We are his body. We are the ones who have been given you know, God's uh, word. We are the ones responsible for sharing uh, this with others and for um, helping others realize their situation outside of the church. The church is that important to a lost and dying world. And that's why, again, the church um, is, is divine in nature and then that we shouldn't diminish it. And that also um, we need to love the church. So uh, if there's any comments, I'd be glad to take them. I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but uh, uh, I do appreciate your attention during this study. And I know it's been... Uh, three weeks, but hopefully it was beneficial to you and look, planning on starting something new with you uh, next week. So again, thank you for your, your attention this morning.